Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi everyone, I'm, well, it's obvious, I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Units spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes, and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family... From the Morehouse murders to haunted highways. This season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Something happened on the 19th of February 1942. And here's the catch, listeners. Dad has gone off and done some research into a case which he claims is amazing and hasn't told me anything. Now, typically speaking, Dad and I become a bit of an intrepid detective duo and go and do digging and research and go through files and look at photos and whatnot. But this week, as a treat, Dad has thrown me in uh, with you lot, completely blind. So, February 1942, Dad, please, would you walk myself and the listeners who are, as established, uh, equally blind on this one into this case that you've planned for us? The reason I'm doing this in this particular manner, in that, in that I'm bringing the story to you and the listeners fresh, yeah, um, is that basically tomorrow, mm-hmm. which for the listeners will be, go if they go back in time 24 hours, will be your birthday. And I thought, as a treat for you, I would basically do this research and present the story to you because I like to gauge your opinions in real time. That's very sweet. But is this my actual present, or is this just like a bonus stocking stuffer kind this, of? This this is not a bonus, and it's a pretty it's a it's a. I think our listeners are going to be uh, sort of excited. It's not the right word because we do we deal with some terrible things, and this is this is a bad one. Enthralled, maybe? No, this is this is a really messed up case. Oh, um, gee, okay, all right. And well. I didn't. I I was in two minds, and one of the reasons I wanted to choose this story and go sort of headfirst um, with you as basically one of the listeners mm-hmm. was that it's it's a tough one, and I didn't want you to. I, I know you don't veto stories. But after last week's story, I thought we would get back into the the sort of the stories that we are, you know, the, I'm, I'm not saying that our listeners enjoy the material. I certainly mm. don't like the material, but you cannot but not be fascinated by the content. And this is an interesting story because the date you mentioned, mm-hmm. so that we've got the crime that's we're going to talk about that occurred in Sydney 
yeah. in an area that I'm very, very familiar with geographically. Sure. But it was the beginning of an extensive campaign of bombing in northern Australia, um, Darwin to be precise, by the Japanese. Ah, uh, okay. In the Second World War. Mm. And I think that's important, not because it's just one of those situations where you sort of bring in facts that are sort of things that had occurred at the same time. You know how when people, for example, your birthday tomorrow, yes, you could easily go online and find out all the famous people that were born on that day. It's sort of, it's, it's not that deep and meaningful really because there are only 365 days in a year and if you divide that by the number of people on earth which is eight and a half billion a lot of people share the same birthday right so but this particular it got me thinking in terms of when we hear this story i want the listeners and yourself to try and get into the mind of uh the killer so yes there is a killer Okay. But the killer was the soldier. Is that a spoiler? No. No, that's just... That is front and centre. He was a soldier and he was at a military camp in Dubbo, which is in central New South Wales. He comes up to Sydney to visit his sister and her children, which are his nieces and nephews. Mm Mm-hmm. He's also got two daughters, aged 18 and 19. Now, all of the family, his mother, all the relatives live in Leichhardt. Leichhardt is a suburb which in Sydney we would describe as inner west. It's an affluent suburb. Yep. And, Paul, you may recall... A year or so ago, we did that terrible story about the young boy that was beaten to death and found on the road with no name. And Christine and I, mm-hmm. we did the research and we actually tracked down that that unknown street. Oh, that's right, you did. We actually went and photographed mm. that bizarre and creepy location. So, now there's also a canal nearby that I know well. I've walked along it many times and I do a lot of my business at a particular auction house in Leichhardt. I've got my storeroom and my storage facility. Christine laughs when I say that. She says, John, it's a, it's sort of, it's a tiny sort of room, but mm. I like to sort of make it sound a lot bigger than it really is. I've been looking at all the maps. I've been following all the, uh, the clues yep. in this particular case. Mm-hmm. So this particular... Uh, uh, soldier his name was William Ernest MacDonald and he was 40 at the time Okay. and this particular case it sent shockwaves across all of Sydney because of its, its nature and it actually involves uh, a young girl who was at the time 11 years old but the victim yeah. was um, the niece 
of William MacDonald. Is that a reveal? No, no, it's just a, it's a fact. Okay. Okay. This story, as I'm going to tell it, is going to be laid out chronologically. Okay. But there are aspects of the story yeah. that are absolutely fascinating. Gotcha. Because this is in the day, clearly pre-DNA, where you had to involve, you had to sort of glean from the possible offender mm-hmm. certain clues, you know, evidence. Yeah. And it was, it was very sort of, a lot of it was based on observation. You have to tip your hat to, to the police of the time. But the techniques of policing have not changed. It's dogged investigation, door-to-door, searching for clues. So the soldier concerned, he had some... Knowing that he was coming up to Sydney to visit his sister, Mm -hmm. his sister was quite an accomplished seamstress. So what he'd done, he'd brought with him some clothing... Our personal clothing that needed repairs. Yeah. So he drops the the clothing off to his sister. He uh, he goes into the city. He goes to places where he uh, partakes of meals. He's ostensibly uh, single, uh, although he does have two daughters. Um, I'm not sure whether they were from a previous marriage. I'm not sure of his marital status I've not been able to ascertain anything about that but on the night in question around about 5 30 mm-hmm. he visits his sister for the last time so he's been in Sydney a few days the primary reason he visits his sister and all the family is to say goodbye and to pick up very importantly his package of repaired clothing okay his sister had bundled up the clothing in a very, very nice... uh, She'd almost gift-wrapped it, and she had used string to tie the the package very, very well because it had to then undertake a train journey. Yeah. And trains back in the 1940s, uh, travelling out into central New South Wales, were Mm. pretty rugged. Okay. And it's summer. Now, as he's about to say goodbye, his niece, um, who's not at home, yep, she's at a friend's house. So when he's walking up to catch the tram in Leichhardt, mm-hmm. his 11-year-old niece approaches him and she knows that he's leaving to go back to Dubbo and they engage in a short conversation and she's on her way home and he says to her Mm -hmm. look um, would you like to walk with me up to the tram station you know where where I'm going to get on the tram sure so she says look I I can't it's you know um, she describes her mother as mummy she says mummy is uh, going to be worried um, because it's you know it's getting dark and you know, I just and he says, "Look, it's okay. Um, what we're going to do before we go to the tram, we're going to go to my daughter's house, which is close by, mm-hmm. and from there, 
uh, you can get in touch with your mum. So that seems okay. They then go up to the tram and he ostensibly gets on the tram. This comes up later in his police statement where he says that, yes, he did walk with her to the tram, but he gets on the tram and then that's the last he saw of her, which is very plausible. It, it, it's a very, very uh, good excuse. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> what happens is the evening progresses, the parents be- begin to get worried and around about 11.30, the parents, the mother and father of the daughter, yeah. they start to uh, search and they then go to the daughter's house, you know, his daughters that are 18 and 19. Mm-hmm. The mother lived in a, in a um, within very close proximity. That's the mother of uh, the soldier. Yep. And no one has seen him. So the last time that the family saw him was leaving the house with the package they didn't know at that stage that he'd actually bumped into the daughter. The daughter had been staying at a friend's house. So the parents become very, very concerned. And at about 11.30, they contact Leichhardt Police. Yeah. They go into the station and the station constable, a young constable, constable first class, mm-hmm. which means he had around about five years of service, and they tell the story and then they realize that someone had actually seen uh, the young girl with the uncle. Okay. And he sticks out like the proverbial because he's in full military uniform. Right, because he's a soldier. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they then go to the mother's house Mm -hmm. and knock on the door and... The mother comes to the door and weirdly, the son who was 40, he's asleep in the hallway and he's using the package as a pillow. They wake him up. They take him back to Leichhardt Police Station because he's the last person to have seen the young girl Mm -hmm. alive. And they notice on his clothing, various seeds, you know, pieces of grass. Mm -hmm. And they ask him what happened. And he says, look, yes, I did bump into my niece. Yes, we walked up to the tram stop. I said goodbye to her. I got on the tram and I actually headed into town Mm -hmm. where I went to... um, sort of a coffee shop. Uh, he, he, he describes the singing, the laughter, the gaiety of that night. He then says that he goes to Belmore Park. And this, is, this is quite interesting. He then said he fell asleep on the grass. Now, this is nowhere near. This is many, many suburbs away from this potential crime. Yeah. Now, did he say that because of all the seeds and grass on him? I'm not sure. The police very, very cleverly, because they realise that potentially something something's not right. Yeah, okay. They then organise a search. 
and at 3.30 the next morning yeah. down by the Leichhardt Canal, they come across the young girl. She's lying face up. Her panties are pulled. One of them has sort of been removed from one of the legs and they can clearly see that she has been sexually assaulted and strangled. She's deceased. And the prime suspect, of course, is the uncle. Just quickly, Mm. I'm very curious because nowadays... uh especially post 9-11 and, you know, with the sort of commercialization of the whole Anzac thing, we live in an age where soldiers and uniforms and whatnot are, they're a very complex thing and they've, you know, they have been politicized. I'm so curious as to what the public perception and the perception by law enforcement would be of, um, of a, like an in-service soldier in uniform. Would they get a unusual degree of deference you know you know do you know what i'm saying mm. i mean there's some people who will give up their seats for soldiers for, for mm. active servicemen on planes and whatnot so when there's a soldier who is a suspect in a murder i'm very curious as to whether there is any degree of we're all in uniform we'll kind of you know uh, treat you with the degree of respect that you would am i making sense is this a you are making complete sense and okay. i would say based on the facts that i've been able to glean and my experience with uh, members of the uh, the services. Yes. In my time, mm-hmm. uh, generally the relationship is is very good. Um, I would imagine in this particular case that the officer concerned would have been treated with, um, you know, the old adage that innocent till proven guilty. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, you and I were not there that night. We did not get to see his demeanour. Or how was... they, or how they reacted towards him, or anything. Yes, but yeah. they knew that they had a, a, a serious situation. They had his niece, that has clearly been strangled mm-hmm. and and sexually assaulted. So he's the last person to have seen her alive. The last and, person, and, and she, sh- yeah, and she shows up. She got him. Just to be clear, who organised the laundry again? Uh, he did. Um, he dropped it off at his sister's that is the mother of the deceased. Yeah, so he's... There's so many things connecting him to this murder. Um, mm, that's right. I, yeah, okay, so talk me through this. Okay. He's, he's been found by the police. Yes, he's, and now the police have him in custody at... Um, well, I say in custody. He has not been charged. He's at Leichhardt Police Station? Leichhardt Police Station. Paul, next time you're in Sydney, I'm going to drive you past that police station. Great. It is... I must see it three or four times a week. It is can only be described as a nondescript 1920s uh-huh. brick house. It does not stand out. Oh, it's one of those. It's an mean, old house. One of the curious things about, and for listeners outside of Australia or England, sometimes our police stations are just in houses. That, yeah. uh, there's quite a few in rural Victoria. You'll go to a small town and there'll be a street, a suburban street, and there'll be a slightly larger than usual, typically very old, beautiful house. Mm. And it will have a police sign on the front and maybe a wheelchair ramp and that's mm. it. It's and a, often it, the officers live within the confines. And sometimes out the back you will have the the wife, yep. if, if, if they were married. And the wife, 
uh, and this still happens today in Australia, uh-huh. the wife makes or cooks the prisoner's meals. So this is, A, this is literally the show Heartbeat, and B, let's get to Leichhardt, Leichhardt Police Station in the, I'm sorry, what was the year again? It was in the... 1942. 1942, okay. So in back in the 40s, uh, would Leichhardt Police Station have been... How many officers would have been stationed there, would you say? Maybe Big, two. Okay, two. so it's it's not a bustling, thriving no. police station. And I'm also curious as to how a... And please forgive my ignorance, Dad, but if I had a really intense murder mm. or was in an area where there were lots of very hardcore crimes happening, this seems pretty high stakes. How equipped is a two-officer station going to be compared to somewhere like Central? Even Central back in the... Uh, no comparison. Back- okay. No, but you did have um, the police wireless or the radio. Yeah, you, no, know, you, you yeah. had cars that were going around circulating as they did back in the 80s. Yep. And they would have senior detectives and they'd be basically cruising the streets that have a radio, anything major that happened. So this, this, this process of, of events that night, the first thing that I want to talk about in some, and I'm going to read out some fairly lengthy lists because it's, it's going to show you and the listeners how incredibly thorough this Constable First Class was. Great. He was, I mean, this is really, really good policing at a very basic level, but very it, it's all based on observations. So mm-hmm. what the um, police did, they called in two experts, um, a Mr. McDonald, yep. and I'll just read uh, to you and the listeners the qualifications. So the detectives, uh, they realise they've got to act very, very quickly. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And what they did 
They waited till the sun came up. They got a lot of police involved, including the Scientific Bureau, mm-hmm. as it used to be called back then. They they cordoned off the uh, the scene, and they did all all the usual things: photographs, measurements, you know, observations. They took plaster casts, uh, which is what they used to do a lot, because they found a um, a footprint at the scene, and they then called in two experts, a Dr. Moody and a Dr. Parbury. Now, they mm. were from the Department of Agriculture. And oh, for the, for the seeds, right? Well, the- yes, I'm, I'm going to read the list of things. that It's, it's bloody fascinating. Great. So, Mr. Moody was the senior agristologist for the department and Dr. Parbury was a doctor of agricultural science who specialised in soil identification. Okay, that's so they, that's real Sherlock. Hey, Holmes this, this is big then. time. They go they go to the station, mm-hmm. and I'm going to read the list out because it's 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 I think it's just fascinating. So Mr. Moody examined the clothing worn by the soldier. So what they had to do, they had to go to the parents. Uh, actually, they went to the sister and said, "Look, we've got your brother in 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 at the station. Can you please provide us with a change of clothes?" So she cobbles together, excuse the pun, a um, sort of a another sort of outfit they they hand deliver that to the station yeah. they then take his entire uniform including his socks yep everything off now this is what they they removed they removed one cobbler's peg seed from the left side tunic on the inside below the bottom of the top pocket they removed one cobbler's peg seed from the inside cuff of the left sleeve. Yeah. One cobbler's peg seed from the inner side left trouser leg. Three cobbler's peg seeds from the crutch of the trousers. One cobbler's peg seed from the right leg trouser outside. Three cobbler's peg seeds from the right leg trousers outside. Four cobbler's peg seeds from the tunic on the left shoulder. Mm-hmm. One Racious, containing a number of seeds from seed heads of cooch grass from the right sock. Three pitchfork seeds from the inner left trouser leg. One pitchfork seed from the right leg on the outside. One barley grass seed from the left sock, about four inches above the top of the foot. And one flowering calyx of ball clover from the brim of the hat close to the crown. Later that day, mm-hmm. the doctor goes to the scene of the crime and he finds all of those specific seeds except for one. And that was the pitchfork seed. But then they realised, a very, very astute young constable said, ah, I know that particular that, that, that plant. Yeah. And they found the plant 60 feet away on the track, which is the track that the murderer would have exited after murdering the young girl. They find that particular seed. They've got it in the bag. Then the other doctor yeah. is given the boots to examine. And this is the list of things he takes. From, and I, I think this is extraordinary. I think it's... For the time, you can imagine how 
sort of mentally and emotionally and psychologically involved everyone was and wanted to get a result. Yeah. Second professor, loamy sand of a grayish color. This is all from the boot. L-O-A-M-Y. So what is loamy sand? By the way, beggar's tick, um, I actually, I know exactly what those are. They're kind of a long, sharp, these are different types of wild kind of uh, weeds, which I haven't seen in a long time. But mm. that, well, the one, the thing I remember about them distinctly is that they stick to your clothes. Yes. I mean, they cling to your clothing. Mm. I mean, who on earth would be thinking about that when one was going to commit this terrible crime? But also, who on earth would be thinking about, like, from the officer's perspective, it, there's a very specific... I, th- I think that's very good detective work. Okay, so the loamy sand you were saying. Yes, that's the, they, they took six things from the boot. Mm-hmm. So the loamy sand, greyish in colour. An admixture of sand and yellowish clay, as it is common in the subsoil of soils derived from sandstone rock. And the whole of Sydney is based on sandstone, but mm-hmm. built on sandstone. A whitish or whitish patches of shale clay subsoil. A small flake of bitumen, fragments of clinker and road metal. Clinker is something that comes from broken bricks. Mm-hmm. Orange and red coloured streaks from abrasive contact with old bricks. So these are all the things that they examine. Now, part of the defence uh, that the offender gave in relation to the seeds Mm -hmm. and it's very interesting he said that he had been lying in the grass and just rolling around down at the military base now what what that's that's part of and you recall how he said that he went to belmore park and was lying in the grass Uh uh-huh okay so that's in his statement okay so what do you think the experts and the detectives do they go to that place he said he was? They go to both places. They go to the military base in the country. And they, and they compare, okay. And they cannot... Now, this is interesting. They can locate all of the seeds that were found yeah. on the soldier. All of those grasses they could find. Mm-hmm. Slight problem. Yeah. None of those grasses were in seed. They're all just gr- growing as grass. Whereas at the murder scene, oh. they were seeds. Oh. So climatically speaking... The, the, there was nothing to actually shed at the other site. Oh, okay. It was all just... The, everything had sort of hatched, so to speak. Oh, not, wow. not the right word. No, I know what you mean. Germinating, they, pollinating, whatever. I, correct. I, I, I get and, what you're saying. And yeah. then they go to Belmore Park. Right. They just... It's not the same. Everything's wide There's, open. Yeah. And, and they took four or five different species. There's only one species at Belmore Park. Right. So it's starting to look like a strong case. Yeah, okay. What the police now need to do is... Well, what happened was around the fly, the fly on the um, soldier's trousers, yeah. they noticed a stain and it looked like semen. How you can say it looked like semen, I guess if you're going to say it's a stain in that region, if it was urine or water, it would clearly dry. Mm-hmm. So it has left a residual. The scientists of the day, they test the, uh, the stain. Mm-hmm. 
and it is semen. But he says, no, no, three nights before I came to Sydney, I had sexual relations with a woman. Clearly, that's, that's why this is the case. They also found a certain stain on the brim of his military hat. Okay. But Paul, this is one of those little things in a story that, for me, it's the sort of stuff that writers of movies and crime series could only dream about. Yeah, okay. This is so bizarre. All right. And again, it shows extraordinary observation by... Every time I talk about a particular police officer in this story, it's the same constable first class. Okay. He... It was his idea to go down to the canal, by the way. He had this thing nailed. The forensic examiners, whilst they had got semen stains from the offender's fly, they were convinced that there was semen on the brim of his hat. But they tested the stain on the hat, and it turned out not to be semen. And I'm going to be a bit gross here. It was a little bit slimy. Would you like to hazard a guess as to what it was? I am genuinely at sea. I don't know what it could be. I mean, is it, is it bird droppings? Mate, is it... this is a classic. Okay. Whilst they're trying to figure out what this this trail yeah. on the, on the um, soldier's hat... So imagine the soldier actually placed his hat next, sort of on the ground, yeah. whilst he committed the atrocious crime. One of the, uh, the same police officer concerned, he recalled... Get ready for this. At the scene, he saw a snail on the girl's leg. No... And there were two other snails. So when it's when sometimes early in the morning when there's a lot of dew, the snails come out and crawl all over the That's place. That's right. We, we, so we see so that he says yeah. he says to the the two you know to the forensic scientists. Yeah. He says I saw a snail on her leg. I saw two snails in the grass. They tested the slime and bingo, it was snail slime, which is again extraordinary in the fact that this police officer yeah was so observant. What do you think of that for good police work? It's incredible. It's incredible police work. Then what they do, they need to basically put him in the in in the frame. They know yeah. that um, it, what what they need basically are witnesses. So they then go door to door and they follow the the route from the sister's house mm-hmm. to the tram station and then ultimately down to the canal. So, for example, when they were um, when he said he was at the tram stop and he got on the tram, yeah, they came across a brother and sister who were twelve years of age. They knew the young girl. They heard the soldier, the uncle, yeah, say to her, "Why don't you come on the tram with me? And we're going to go and visit your aunties. Aunties being his elderly, you know." mature daughters yep she said because they mm. hear the whole thing that the, the two witnesses the 12 year olds they, they were extraordinary a, a brother and sister they said that she was very apprehensive not not insofar as not wanting to go with the uncle but she felt that you know her mum would be would be worried and and that they heard the soldier say to the young girl to to his niece don't worry when we get to their place we're going to call your mum so she thinks that's fine yeah they then have a witness on the tram a woman who was traveling, she said she saw a soldier. I mean, he would have stuck out like dog's balls, a soldier with a 12-year-old girl. Mm-hmm. She says she saw them get on the tram. She says he had a package. 
Now, we all know what that package was. That's the clothing. The yeah. clothing that the girl's mother uh-huh. had wrapped after repairing it for her brother, her uncle. Yeah. The woman says they sat together, then she alighted from the tram, and that's the last she saw. They then got a statement from the tram conductor. He, too, described in detail a soldier with a young girl, mm-hmm. and he was carrying a parcel. They then get a shop owner and the assistant of a shop close to where they would have alighted from the tram, mm-hmm. and he went into the shop, or actually he gave uh, his niece uh, some money. He stood at the front of the shop at the entrance. She goes in and she buys two ice creams. And I think that's quite poignant yeah. and important yeah. because what he's doing, he is, he is tightening the circle of trust where she can have no possible in her wildest nightmares she would never even contemplate what was going to unfold yeah two statements one from the owner of the store that says uh she did see a person outside she wasn't quite sure what he was wearing but then another the store assistant said that she did see the the male standing a little bit away from the front and he was clearly in a full military uniform and then someone else uh, another child, uh, again, around about the age of 12. So these children would have been, uh, I imagine, in first form or year seven yeah. in high school. And another kid that knew the girl said she saw um, the girl standing by a very, very dark path. And in the very, very sort of distance, because it, it was very dark down this path, she's standing on the corner... Um, enjoying her ice cream and she can see a man urinating sort of down this sort of very dark path uh and she knew the girl so you know this is all very very it's very um what we're doing is we're creating a very very tight case uh, because the police really realized you know circumstantial evidence is one thing but but having all these witnesses that can take her to the canal yeah. And then there again, incredibly, down on the canal. Yeah. Uh, right opposite the canal uh, is, is an, or at the time was a house, but which I imagine is still there. And there was a young boy, and he was actually in his bedroom, and he heard twice someone that he described as a young girl. Yep. Quietly screaming, but not oh. loud. Oh, no. Yep. He heard it and then he didn't take a lot of notice of it and he went to bed. And there was also a lady in that street. She too, on the other side of the canal, because noise travels across water, she at the same time heard what she thought was a very quiet, dull girl kind of trying to scream. Um, But again, didn't give it a lot of credence. So they've they've really... uh, They've got the guy. Uh, and something else very interesting about this case, I'm just trying to recall. Oh, that's right. Paul, Yeah. you recall how he was wearing military boots at the time? Yes, I do. I do. They took a plaster cast at the scene of the murder. Mm-hmm. 
on the front of each boot on the underside the military uh, sort of attached metal um, pads they nail them in to to extend the length of the boot because clearly they're going to see some some serious action yeah now what happened was the cast they got of the toe of the boot yeah. was unusual because what had happened was prior to this evening the offender had been walking somewhere and he had somehow dislodged or got something caught in the metal toe that's the on the underside that's nailed down it's sort of like a half a coin mm-hmm. nailed to the front underside have you ever seen them I uh, don't think so. Okay, if you can imagine, if you were sort of, they'd be, they'd be really good for tap dancing. Right. They'd make right. a very, very sort of audible metallic sound. Yeah, gotcha. But what had happened, this particular metal um, sort of plate had become slightly dislodged. It had moved off centre. What it did, it actually enabled part of the underside of the tread which is unique, to become exposed. So at the scene, he leaves an impression that they took a plaster cast of, mm-hmm. of the toe of the boot that showed the metal plate that was off-centre, but it in turn revealed the unique grooves cut into the, the sole of the shoe, Yeah. which normally, if... In court, you would have been relying on that evidence and the metal had not moved, you would not have a case because it, it's not unique. Right. They're all the same. But for the metal to have somehow moved slightly to have revealed the actual tread that in turn was then enabled to be used in evidence, which is very, very interesting. Again, it's just a small thing, but... Uh, fascinating. It's now, sort of built, yeah. Sorry, go on, go on. Well, well, what happened was um, the offender was charged at Leichhardt, Leichhardt Police Station, and when he went to court, it only took the jury eighty minutes to convict the offender of the murder and sexual assault of his niece, and it's sad because. Uh, the young girl's father, as occasionally happens in court, he lunged towards his. Um, what does that make him? It's his brother-in-law. I guess so. Yeah, yeah he lunged towards him, but the police managed to uh, subdue him. One can only imagine how distraught he was, and the offender was sentenced to death. The death sentence was uh, commuted to. Uh, life in jail and that's the story uh now my hypothesis which could be completely crazy yeah but i'm just wondering what would have gone through the mind of a soldier had he known that darwin had just been bombed it was a momentous and quite frankly horrifying time in the collective psyche of Australians and I'm wondering is it possible that they'd heard about that terrible news of the bombing that day and had that completely just made him go crazy and perhaps did he adapt or adopt a fatalistic view on on 
what the hell? Or I mean, Paul, it's just there are so many things to consider. I sometimes think about what 9-11 would have done to, you know, people who were on the edge of certain mental states. Mm. I mean, it's a, it's a cultural shock and it's, yep. you know, but it's also just, it's, it's a purely academic thought exercise about a really horrible, tragic thing that happened. But I think the takeaway for me is that the detective work at play is genuinely, mm. genuinely incredible. I agree. Um, agree. Yep. Yeah. Um, look, I was not expecting this story, mm. but I am, uh, I'm very glad you shared it with us. And uh, whilst I think it is a questionable birthday present, it is a damn fine story to share on Loose Units. So I really, Dad, thank you very much for bringing that to the table. Well, look, that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. We'll be back later this week with The Loose Ends. Uh, In the meantime, please feel free to stay in touch. Uh, Hit us up on the Facebook page and we will see you very soon for more Loose Units. Bye, everyone. Cheerio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.